Welcome to Yoga for the Revolution, a show about self-care in the age of resistance. Today, I'm asking some questions about what goodness can do and how to be good in a world that sensationalizes the bad and whether any of that really makes any difference. If you listen to the last episode, or really any episode of this podcast before, you'll know that I've been struggling here with our new reality and amidst that, struggling to accept my role and the role of the show, and yada, yada, yada. I have no messiah complex. I get that I am not one person changing the whole world. I mean, I'm not even doing the hard work of a daily activist and a real game changer. I am a citizen here with you representing an average person who, you know, a year and a half ago was taken by surprise by the injustice. I've spent the last couple of years learning just how deeply inequality runs in people's minds, just how strong the pull of capitalism is, how strong that influences, and just how many people don't care about other people. And for a lot of citizens of this country and elsewhere in the world, that's not a surprise to them, but it was a surprise to me. So I'm here just reminding us all to breathe when we can. I took off the month of June and I dropped off Facebook and I didn't do the show and I tried to think about what was really helpful and what was just adding to the noise. And I'm still working through that. I think there is a place for righteous indignation and I have it. At the same time, I'm starting to wonder again if that's helping or if that's just adding to the noise and to the negativity. And also, I'm tired. I was just tired. Everything felt futile. Really, everything. I just didn't know how to move forward. Enter Mr. Rogers. Recently, my husband and I went to see the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? It's a film about the work of Fred Rogers and his dull-seeming but revolutionary show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I grew up on the show. Mr. Rogers was my first crush, you know, as far as I knew what that meant. The show started on a fledgling PBS in 1968, and it was not hip or cool. It is the definition of square. And he talked about feelings and thought silence was important. And he wasn't afraid to tackle political discourse on an age-appropriate level. Uh, He even did special shows on death and divorce and addressed the assassination of Bobby Kennedy and racism. He told each of us we were special and worthy of love. And if anything, that's where he was criticized, by encouraging a nation of wussies, as quoted by conservative critics. But his message was not about teaching children to be soft. It was about meeting kids where they are. Curious, vulnerable bodies with real feelings inside, real thoughts, real fears. When the lights went up in the theater, a bunch of people were still sniffling, wiping tears away, in part because watching him, he still has that uncanny ability to reach inside an individual, even as an adult, reach through all the layers of cynicism we've built up over time, the brick-by-brick construction of anger and resentment. He just reaches through all of it, through your ribcage and holds your little childhood heart and listens. 
And some of the tears were because he seems so lost to us, to me, not just the man, but his ideals, that voice of reason and compassion, even the squareness. I can't imagine where someone like him would fit in in today's world, how that person would exist. Who would listen? Would anyone even listen? Which is a double bitter pill to swallow because I believe we truly, truly need that voice now. As kids, Mr. Rogers told us that there were certain things we didn't have to worry about. A stuffed animal being torn in the washing machine or a nice man being shot by a bad man. He assured us that the grown-ups were taking care of it, that they were protecting us. And that wasn't exactly true. But now, we, the kids who watched him all those years, we are the grown-ups. And collectively, it seems those lessons feel less applicable. It's even more confusing now. We are the ones who are supposed to be taking care of things, being taken care of the kids, taking care of the bad things that happen in the world. And it just feels like it's almost impossible to do. How can fairness win when the other side doesn't fight fair? How can listening and quiet contemplation prevail in a boisterous 24-hour sensational news cycle? There was something Fred Rogers said, mentioned in the documentary that struck me, a vision or a mission he had 50 years ago. He said, let's make goodness attractive in this so-called new millennium. Is that still possible? Can we do that? How would we make it cool to be good? Was it ever? Was it always square? In the war of coolness and goodness, will the bad boy always win? I feel like that was a little bit Carrie Bradshaw. Did you hear it? I couldn't help but wonder. There was a profile of Rogers and Esquire decades ago uh, where the author Tom Juno made a similar point that Mr. Rogers, and I'm going to quote here from that article, is losing as we are all losing. He's losing it to our 24-hour-a-day pie fight, to the dizzying cut and the disorienting edit, to the message of fragmentation, to the flicker and pulse and shudder and strobe, to the constant high V drone of the electro culture, uh, which is poetically stated, but basically the same thing, right? How does that soft, compassionate presence make an impact when we're living in Times Square? Uh, The author asks another really interesting question, which I thought, though in our collective fantasies of a present-day Rogers stand-in, was really interesting. If someone who wasn't Fred Rogers showed up and started telling Americans that in this moment, the greatest thing we can do is help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving, that voice wouldn't make it, couldn't cut through. And even if they did, would we take that person seriously? I don't know. It's very possible that there are a million voices out there saying this. I know that there are, but are we hearing them? Is that voice cutting through? I read another uh, thing, an interview with the documentary maker. His name is Morgan Neville. And this one is on vulture.com. And of course, I'll link to everything here, of course, so that you can go to the show notes and take a look for yourself if you wanted to read any more about the stuff I'm talking about. The question that is being asked here in this article is where are the adult voices in our culture? You know, we just mentioned now we are the adults. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood 
populated with curious, compassionate, vulnerable children are now in charge. And what are we doing? How are we taking care of things? You know, I've been talking about that for years because I feel like the rampant self-interest of everybody in our public sphere has just... I don't know, we've lost the sense of who's looking out for where we're all heading, who's worrying about the long-term health and wellness of our culture. And I don't know if that happened during the 80s. You know, you look back at the stereotypes of each generation and did the me generation kind of wipe out that idea that we are all better off together, that the whole country, the whole society, your neighbor is better off when you are better off, that you are better off when your neighbor is better off. Every man for himself doesn't really work, and I think we're noticing that. It works for like seven people, and those people are very wealthy, and they're making a lot of decisions for the rest of us right now, and they're very, very powerful. But why do the rest of us still buy into the every man for himself theory. We're not those seven people. Going back to something Neville said, what kind of community do we want to have? What kind of society do we want to have? Being a neighbor is being a citizen, and those kinds of issues are so urgently needed right now. Again, I am sold on needing a voice like this. Different, maybe adapted for the modern world, but I'm struggling in my my vision, my imagination with who that person would be. What would they sound like? Would they tell us like Rosie Greer did in the 70s that it's all right to cry? Would they tell us like Mr. Rogers to be brave and strong, assure us that he liked us? And even if they did, would we believe them? Watching this documentary and doing some of this reading, it also made me reflect on me, reflect on myself, my attitudes, my behaviors, how I show up in the world. Do I listen? Do I empathize? Not just with children, but with people in general. Have I been taken over by this every man for himself attitude as well? And I think it's a tough spot. It's tough for me, at least, to go all in on love. Because going all in on love feels inadequate or soft. It feels like we need our anger. We need our righteous indignation. I need my hard shell. And yet, even when I say that out loud, there's nothing weak about going all in on love. That's incredibly, incredibly brave. I just don't necessarily know how to translate that in the world right now, in part for the same reasons Fred Rogers faced, which was sometimes not a lot of people took him seriously. They didn't get the passion and the deep dedication to his work. He wasn't just a flake or a softy. He was incredibly well-educated. He had a really strong mission. And it was incredibly frustrating for him. And for me too, actually. I had a fifth grade teacher. His name is Mr. Hosey. If anyone went to Norwood Avenue Elementary School and had Mr. Hosey, uh, you know who I'm talking about. He was great. He was really actually an amazing person, an Eagle Scout and just a total square. Sometimes the kids wouldn't listen to him, and it broke my little fifth grade heart every time. They made fun of him behind his back or caused trouble when he wasn't looking. He was just so damn earnest, and his belief that we were all good kids tore me up because we certainly weren't all acting like good kids. And that 
teaches us something too. How can we be earnest and good and sincere and still, you know, quote unquote, win? The game isn't necessarily set up that way. And I'm not just talking about a room full of fifth graders. The other thing I bumped up against a bit in the documentary and about Mr. Rogers in general, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but I do think it's important when we're trying to figure out who this potential voice could be, what it could look like. What is the current modern amalgam of compassion and adulthood in the responsible sense? Uh, In the documentary, they showed the famous Eddie Murphy SNL send up, Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. I'll link to that too. And they were using it as an example of people mocking Mr. Rogers and not taking him seriously for the for the important work he was doing. And for me, that one felt a little bit less like making fun of Mr. Rogers and his ideals per se, and more an acknowledgement that not every neighborhood is created equal and not every childhood starts on equal footing. And while Sesame Street was set in a pretty diverse, or diverse for TV, neighborhood in Manhattan, Mr. Rogers' place was a bit more insular and protective and in a way that could potentially be more exclusionary. I don't know. That's a new way of thinking about it for me, that his squareness and his softness is like particularly white. And I don't necessarily have a a full bore analysis of that, although I'm interested to hear what you think about it, especially if you grew up in a world where, you know, you didn't have a Mr. Rogers figure or did he feel really alien to you? Like, who's this guy in a cardigan talking to me? That's not my neighborhood. I would just be curious about that. If we envision a new Rogers, that voice would have to be different, wouldn't it? It would have to be, I mean, his ideals were incredibly inclusive, but there's even something about his presentation that's very culturally specific. NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour spent time uh, talking about the documentary as well, and I think helped answer a little bit of that question, I think. But before we get into that, I do want to pause to say thank you, as I always do, Thanks for listening to the show, especially in the last couple weeks where there's just been a lot of questions. And I appreciate being able to share those questions with you all publicly and not have to pretend like I'm coming at you with all the answers. And that's something I definitely appreciate. Last week, we talked about doing one thing, just one thing to stay human in this world, not not even um, one thing to help move forward and save the world, not even one external action to help someone else, but one thing to help you, one thing to help yourself stay human. I committed to walking every day and meditating, and I've been doing it. So far, so good. My life has not turned upside down in improvements quite yet, but I think we all know that that's not really how that works. And I've heard from some of you, I hear yoga every day, and that's awesome. If you have a daily practice, that's phenomenal. It doesn't have to be yoga. I do want to put that out there too. It could be watering your plants. It could be... Uh, listening to music in the morning and not the news or, you know, whatever it is. Again, I don't know what your one thing is, but if you want to share what your thing is, the one thing you do, you can share with me and I'll share it out with the group anonymously, probably. That might be better for everyone. And that way we can get a list going of one things. And then on the days when you feel like your one thing isn't doing it, maybe you could look for inspiration on other people's one things. 
here are ways you can reach out to me on the site yogafortherevolution.org. All of our past and future episodes are there, along with a little button on the top that says contact. You can share your one thing there or on social. Yeah, I'm going to look at Facebook every once in a while so I can see our social pages and keep up to date with you guys. Facebook is facebook.com slash yoga for the revolution. Instagram is yoga for the revolution. If you're doing your one thing and you want to take a picture and tag yoga for the revolution, you can do that. Or Twitter at y underscore f underscore t underscore r. So here's that thought from NPR. What Neville made, it starts, is a film about goodness. And his thesis is not that Fred Rogers was good in precisely the way we should all be good. He is not telling you to be a children's television host, impenetrably pleasant, speaking in a soft voice with a puppet on your hand, suspicious of entertainment that rises above a gentle murmur. Neville is not pretending the world would be good or interesting if we were all precisely this. His thesis is that Fred Rogers found the way to be good, to contribute, that worked for him. Given his particular flavor of Christianity, his talents, his temperament, and his limitations. And so this, for me, is helping me answer the question about who that new contemporary Mr. Rogers voice would or could be, or at least change the question. It made me think, maybe we couldn't possibly have a new but slightly different Mr. Rogers now. He was very particular to his time. But maybe we could have, possibly, we could each be our own little version in our own way? How can we each find a way to be good, to contribute, that works for each of us, given our own particular flavors and talents and temperament? Can we make goodness attractive again? Or maybe just good enough? Until next time, keep breathing and live to fight another day.